Well, maybe you find yourself on the treadmill trying to keep up and trying to work your way to God. Well, Easter is for every runner out there. Well, happy Easter and welcome to the crossing. So glad that you've joined us tonight. If this is your first time, we are so honored that you would come and uh, join us here on Easter. And I want to give a big shout out to our Southeast campus. We love you. To our microsites, those who are watching online, can we just give them a big welcome? Well, I have some good news for you today. I just became a grandpa. Luca Joseph Philip made his debut about 1.27 a.m. And mom and baby and dad are doing good. And grandma and grandpa are over the moon. We are so excited. You can just call me Papa from now on. And uh, we are just so excited about new life because that's what this weekend is about. Well, next weekend, we're starting a brand new series called Explicit Lyrics. That one of the top stresses in all of our lives might be sitting right next to you. It's our relationships. It's the people that we're around. And God, who created us for relationship, has incredible wisdom about them. And we are basing the series on a book of the Bible called Song of Solomon. Now, this book of the Bible was, was so explicit that back in the Bible times that you couldn't even read the book until you were married or at least 30 years old. And so we're going to be hitting such topics as how do you find that right person? What should you look for in that right person? Intimacy, conflict, uh, staying in love. So we're going to start that series next weekend. I hope you'll come back and join us as we dive into this because this will be so good for us as we are just trying to grow in our relationships to be more like Christ. Well, a few months ago, I was in Israel, and I got to go to the tomb where Jesus was buried. And I went inside. I can attest to you by personal account, the tomb is empty. There is nobody in there. To actually stand inside the grave that Jesus was buried for three days, and then he rose from the dead, it is life-changing. It was like the greatest April Fool's joke of all times. You know, Jesus said, you know, April Fool's, I am no longer dead. The reason that Easter is such a big deal to us is because it is the anchor of our faith. See, our faith is not based on a book. And our faith is not based on a teaching. Our faith is not even based on a teacher. Our faith, the entire Christian faith, is based on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And if the resurrection did not happen, then game over for Christianity. But if the resurrection did happen, if Jesus did rise from the dead, then everything that he said is true as well. Everything hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. And Easter is when dead things come to life again. The death and resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate example of what God would do to come after a runner like you, to pursue us. Perhaps the most famous story that Jesus ever told was about God's pursuit for you and me. It's found in Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you have your Bible apps, Jesus tells three stories back to back to back. 
but it is the last story that he tells where he talks about the length of what God would do to come for you, that he would come after you to find you and to bring you back. And so we're going to pick up this story in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. The way that inheritance was done in that culture is when the the father, the patriarch of the family, when he was on his deathbed, he would bring in the kids and he would divide it equally among all the sons. And the oldest son would actually get a double portion than everybody else. And so these two sons in this story, the younger son would get a third of the estate. But notice what he says. He says, I want my share of the estate, not the inheritance, because inheritance comes with responsibility. When you inherit something, there is something required of you. He just wants a payout. I don't want an inheritance. I just want my portion of the estate. Here's what he's saying. I wish you were dead. I wish you weren't in my life. I wish I had everything coming to me that is coming to me now. So the father does what no other Middle Eastern father would ever do. He divides the estate and he gives it to both of his sons. Because the father is willing to lose him to potentially win him back. Well, Jesus goes on in his story. He says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. He wanted to get as far away from home as possible. He's got money in his pocket. He's got a soundtrack playing in the back of his mind. Maybe it's born to be wild or party like a rock star, depending on what generation you're from. And he thinks, I am finally free. And it says that he squandered his wealth on wild living. See, it's actually his brother that accuses him of spending the family's wealth on prostitutes and parties. But see, the real sin here for him is spending the family inheritance. In this culture, to spend the family inheritance on Gentiles was a sin that was considered worse than adultery. And then it all comes to an end. And this is what happens when you are on the run, is good things always come to an end. It says, after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. See, when the money is gone, all of the beautiful women that he thought were attracted to him, they are gone. All of the friends who kind of clung on as long as there was money, they're gone. And finally, this kosher Jewish boy gets a job on a pig farm feeding pigs. Now, it's difficult for for us to fully comprehend what's going on right here. It's hard for us to fully imagine this, but this would be the absolute rock bottom for a Jewish boy to be working with pigs. It says that he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He was so broke and so hungry that pig food looked good to him. I don't know if you've ever been hungry before. I have never been this hungry before. But this is the turning point in the story. Because God does some of his greatest miracles in the pig pens of life. This is where God shows up. 
when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. See, this is that moment when you wonder, how did I get here? How did my life become such a mess? Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been there where you kind of look at all the pieces of your life and go, I don't even know how I ended up here. It's that moment of regret. And for this guy, for this runner, he has that moment where he says, I've blown my inheritance. I'm starving to death. And I know that this is a long shot, but maybe I can work my way back to my father's life. I'll just become like a hired servant and I'll save up money to buy my way back. Do you ever wonder why he waited so long to come home? Do you wonder why he waited until all of the money was gone? Do you wonder why he waited until there was a severe famine? See, in this culture, there was no safety net for people who were starving. They would starve to death. And he is in this severe famine, and the only job is working with pigs. Well, the reason that he waited so long is he knew what he was coming home to. In that day, there was a well-known ceremony in the Jewish community that if you lived among the Gentiles or if you squandered all of the family's wealth on wild living or on unwise business deals or gambling it all away, if you tried to come home, the entire village, they would meet you at the city gate and they would take a vase like this that was filled full of burnt corn nuts because the stench was part of this. And then one by one, they would come to the son who tried to come home. They would lift it above their head and they would break it at his feet. See, this ceremony was a way of saying the way that you have broken relationship with your father, the way that you have broken trust with the community, the way that you have broken your father's heart, that the damage is unrepairable. So now we are going to break relationship with you. And after the last vase was broken, they would all turn their back on him and he would be excommunicated from that community. It was a punishment that was worse than death. Well, they had a name for this ceremony because this was a well-known ceremony. The name for this, it was called kazazah. This is the Hebrew word for cutting off. So I want you to say this out loud with me because I want to just teach a little bit of Hebrew tonight. You can show off to all of your friends over the weekend. So I want us to say this word kazazah together. So let's say this together. Kazazah. It's the cutting off. Maybe you have had that kind of brokenness in your life where you just feel cut off. Well, that's why he takes so long to come home because he knows what's lying ahead for him. But to be cut off is better than dying. So he thinks, I can work my way back to my father. I can just be good enough to get back to him. And so he starts heading home, and he rehearses this speech all the way home. It says this, it says, so he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, 
He saw him and was filled with, and depending on your view of God, is how you fill in this blank. Some of you would, would, feel, this, would, would feel this as he's filled with disgust, or he's filled with anger, or he's filled with embarrassment. But that's not the way that Jesus told this story. This father saw him and he was filled with compassion. And you're like, compassion? How could he be filled with compassion? This son has humiliated the father. This son has embarrassed him, made him a laughing stock. We'll see this father right here. He longs to have a relationship with his son. It says he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. He ran to his son. Now, there are certain things that dads do and certain things that dads don't do. For my dad, my dad was a Chevy guy. My dad would never drive a Ford no matter what. It was just one of those things. He goes, we just don't do that. You know, us Phillips, we don't drive Fords. Well, there's certain things that some dads don't do. Well, a Middle Eastern father would never run because he was the patriarch of the family. He was a man of great dignity and great authority. He dressed in these elaborate and ornate robes. And the robes would actually, it would drag behind him because he would walk in a dignified way. He would never run. For this father to run, what it meant is that he would have to gather the edge of his robe and he would bring them up and tuck them in. It almost looked like he was wearing a diaper. And then to expose his naked legs would bring shame and humiliation and embarrassment to him. It says that he ran to him. This word that Jesus uses right here is actually the word that they used when someone was in a race. So it's not just he's jogging. He is racing towards the sun. And you probably know this part of the story. You probably know that the father runs to the son, but maybe you don't know why the father runs to the son. The reason that the father runs to the son is he has to get there before all of the people in the community get to him to cut him off. He has to get there first before they excommunicate him and don't allow him to come back home. And so the father takes all of the shame and all of the humiliation that should have fallen on his prodigal boy, and he takes it on himself. It says, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I mean, everybody around me, I've sinned against them. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He rehearses this speech. He's been saying it over and over again. And so he begins to say it because he knows the consequences of what he's done. He knows what this has led to. And he's like, I'm going to earn my way back to you. Just give me a chance. And his father, he shuts him up. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a finger on his ring, which meant that he was accepted back in the family. Sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. This father is saying, there will be no Kazazah today. You're not going to come to my house to break vases. You're going to come to my house for a party. Because we're going to celebrate. This son of mine was dead. 
and he is alive again. He was lost, and he's found. See, we usually call this story the story of the prodigal son. But I think a better title for this, this is the story of the running father. Because God is so filled with compassion for you and your life, wherever you find yourself, whatever distant country that you have been in, that when you take one step towards him, he picks up the edges of his robe and he comes sprinting towards you and he takes your shame and your humiliation on himself. That's what Jesus did on the cross. That's what Jesus did for all of us. When he went to the cross, he took our sin and shame and he traded it in for forgiveness and restoration. I was watching Billy Graham's memorial service a few weeks ago and I was touched by his daughter Ruth Graham's story. She talked about coming out of a divorce. She came out of a divorce and she she went to a church and she met a man at her church and things started moving quickly and everyone around them was concerned that it was moving too quickly. That her dad, Billy Graham, actually called her from Tokyo. He was in Tokyo for a crusade. And he said, just slow down. Just slow it down. There's no hurry. Well, she ignored his advice and got married a few weeks later on New Year's Eve. She said, within 24 hours, I knew that I had made a mistake. The, The marriage had immediately turned abusive. And she fled the marriage after five weeks. She said, I didn't know what I was going to do. She said, none of us want to embarrass our father. You really don't want to embarrass Billy Graham. She got in her car and she started driving to his house in the mountains. And she made the last turn. And standing outside waiting for her was her father, waiting for her to get out of the car. And when she got out, he wrapped her arms around her and he said, welcome home. There was no shame. There was no blame. There was no condemnation. Just unconditional love. Welcome home. See, there's many ways to be lost. Maybe you'll leave here and you'll go home to your nice house and to your family, and to a great job, but you know that there is something missing. You know that there is something that's just not right with you and God, and you wonder if you can come home. Well, Easter is for every prodigal. Easter is for every prodigal. Easter is for every person who finds themselves in a distant country and wonders if God would want them to come home. Easter is for every person who feels shame for their sin and wonders if God could ever forgive them. Easter is when dead things come to life again. And see, it's not just the story of Jesus coming back to life. It's now your story. Because Jesus came to give you life and to give you life to the full. Let me show you the power of the resurrection for each of us. Here's what the Apostle Peter writes. You remember, Peter's the one who denied Jesus. Remember, at that moment, Peter's the one who denies Jesus, and he flees and walks off. He says this. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And his great mercy has given us a new birth 
Because you go from your death to life into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I want you to notice two words here, hope and resurrection. This word hope is actually found in the New Testament 71 times. But before the resurrection happens, this word is only found one time. It's found 70 times after the resurrection. See, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to realize that these two things go together. Where our hope comes from, it's the resurrection of Jesus. Here's how the Apostle Paul says this. He says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. You get what he's saying here is the same power, the same mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you. It's available to you. The same mighty power. But it's not available to everyone. It's only for those who believe. That's who it's for. It's only for those who believe. Well, let's be honest. All of us, We think that God has a vase, and he's written our name on it, and he's just waiting for us to mess up so he can cause us, he can cut us off. But see, you've got it all wrong. See, here's what, what the death and resurrection of Jesus means to us, is God has a vase not to cut you off, but the death and resurrection of Jesus means That it no longer has a hold on you. It no longer has a hold on you. That death is broken in our life. That sin, its power is broken in our life. That's the power of the gospel for each of us. You see, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Jesus didn't come so he could just make you a little bit better than you are right now. Jesus came to give you life, to breathe life into you. And that is the power of Jesus for us. See, Jesus gives this picture of how we go from death to life. It's baptism. That is the picture. There is no better way to celebrate Easter than being baptized. See, baptism represents the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And I want you to see this because God often gave his people object lessons. Baptism is an object lesson for us. And you see this because when we're in the baptistry, that represents Jesus' death. We are buried with him, and just as Jesus was buried, our sins are buried, and they are no more. And we rise to walk a new life just as Jesus rose from the dead. It represents his death, burial, and resurrection for us. And in the book of Acts, the book of Acts is the story of how the early church began. And when people became a follower of Jesus, every single time they were baptized, every time. It started with them putting their faith in Jesus and ending with baptism. It's the first thing they did after putting their trust in Jesus. They didn't say, well, I'll get baptized someday when it's convenient. Or I'll get baptized when I get my life all together. Or I'll get baptized after I take that baptism class. No, that same day they put their faith in Jesus, they responded 
by being baptized. See, baptism was such a big deal to Jesus that Jesus started his ministry by being baptized as an example to you and me. And the last thing that Jesus told us before ascending into heaven is for you to be baptized, for you to identify with Christ. It's this picture of going from death to life. It is this picture of new life, of what Christ does in us. So if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, what is stopping you from being baptized today? We have a pool all set up. This is one of the nicest days of the year. It is fantastic. We have everything ready for you. So here's what we're going to do here in a few minutes. In a moment, I'm going to count to three. And I'm going to ask anybody who's making a decision today, either here or at the Southeast Campus, I'm going to ask you to respond by standing up. To stand up to honor the one who rose from the grave for us. And you say, well, I couldn't be baptized today. Like, why not? Maybe you go, well, what will people think? Well, people are going to be cheering you on. You go, what about my kids? Well, go pick up your kids so they can see this moment for you. Well, I've got this thing. I've got this issue. Listen, if you could fix yourself, then you wouldn't need Jesus to cleanse you. That's what baptism is all about. In fact, the Bible tells us that when we repent and are baptized, we receive the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of Jesus helping us make changes in our life. Maybe you say, well, I took so long to get ready on Easter, and I don't want to mess up my hair. And some of you ladies are worried about that too. Maybe you say, I wasn't planning on it today. Well, God knew from the time that you were born that today would be your day, and we're planning on you. We've got a shirt for you that we're going to give you just as a memento of today. We've got a pair of shorts. We've got towels. We have everything that you need. Well, maybe you say, well, I'm just visiting, and and I don't know if I want to become a member of this church. Well, that's fair. We don't know if we want you to be a member of this church. But you're not getting baptized into a church. You're getting baptized into the risen Savior that we serve. Honestly, the loudest whisper made us be your pride. And if you're a follower of Jesus, why wouldn't you do the first thing that he asked us to do? Today, we are baptizing anyone sixth grade and above. If you have a child who wants to be baptized, we have a special class for them. You can talk to our pastors out there, and we will get them and help you get them all signed up for that. I love what the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians, such a powerful scripture. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of the resurrection. See, that's why we're here is because the resurrection has power for you and for me. It makes a difference in us. But here's the question. Do you know Christ? Do you know Christ? Maybe you feel like a prodigal. You've been running for a long time and you feel lost. Well, today is the day you can come home. Today is the day you can let Jesus become your Lord and your Savior. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond to him right now. In a moment, I'm going to count to three. 
And I'm going to ask everyone who is surrendering their life to Jesus and making the decision to be baptized to stand up in honor of the one who stood for you. See, I I want you to stand up because I want this to be cemented into your head. I want this to be in your mind forever. This moment that you made this decision that you'll never forget. And once you stand, I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. I will just pray for you. For the rest of us, we're going to cheer for them. Because in these three stories that Jesus told, the way that he ends these stories is Jesus said, there is more rejoicing in heaven when one person who was lost chooses to be found than 99 people who don't need to be found. You want to know, up in heaven, they're not going, they're not celebrating because there's a lot of people here. They're not going, oh, wow, look at all those people. No, they celebrate when one person comes to Jesus. That's what causes heaven to celebrate. And we're going to join with heaven, and we're going to celebrate with everyone who stands. This last service, we, we had people, entire families get baptized together. There was a lady who was 70 years old. She said, I need to do this before I go home to be with the Lord. It's time for me to do this. It might be time for you. So I'm going to ask you to stand on the count of three. One, this is your moment. Two, it's time to finally stop running and saying yes to Jesus. Three, I want you to stand right where you are right now. Love it. Love it. Congratulations. Awesome. Awesome. Fantastic. Just stay standing. Very cool. Is there anybody else who would join them? Same thing at our Southeast campus. want you to stand as well where you are. Is there anybody else? Very cool. Love it. Congratulations. Well, let me pray for you. Just keep standing. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you for this moment. God, we thank you for this moment where they said, I'm in. I'm done running. I'm ready to come home. God, thank you that there are so many of us who have made that same decision. And God, we get to celebrate with those who are making it right now. So we praise you, God, for who you are. We thank you for new life in Christ. We thank you for the hope of Easter. We thank you for every person here who maybe didn't have the courage to stand up, but they're standing in their heart. So God, we thank you for what you're doing in them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.